0: Thank you, Stu, very much. Well, it is a real honor to welcome to our pulpit today uh, Pastor Henry Fernandez, Brother Fernandez and I, uh, and his wife, Cindy. Uh, we've been friends for going on 20 years, at least, I think, and had lots of uh, interaction back and forth, lots of conversations about uh, our mutual desire for the glorification of Christ in his kingdom and in the church. Um, we've uh, prayed with each other, wept with each other, laughed with each other, and stri- uh, strive to uh, communicate uh, encouragement to one another when we've had times of difficulty in our, in our lives and ministries, and so to have him come to this pulpit and preach God's word to you today is uh, not only something that i'm excited about for you but for me as well as the ministry that he's had in my life uh, will just be magnified even more in the days to come uh i i trust as we work together for for the lord's glory and his kingdom you know uh, henry has been pastoring the uh, Bryce avenue uh, presbyterian church in los alamos new mexico for 34 years and uh, uh, I can tell you he is by God's grace, uh, this is not to puff him up, but by God's grace, a faithful man, and one who is uh, I, I count and to my mind this is one of the highest uh, didn't think I was going to get emotional on this point you're going to why did you get emotional about that but uh, this is uh, perhaps the highest compliment that I that I can think of to give to a pastor of a church, is that he is the consummate churchman. That he understands the nature of the church, and he serves the church as a servant of God, not as uh, someone who overlords uh, out of pride or self-service. But uh, the privilege, again, of him being here is... uh, it's beyond my words to adequately express as I regard it. So, Brother Fernandez, please come, open God's word to us, and may God bless you as you do so. Thank you. Thank you very much. Open your Bibles
1: with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and we want to look this morning at verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of God? Beloved, this is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God, and so I call you to hear it and to heed it. Hear now the reading of the Word of God from Second from Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phy- Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Amen. That's Father the reading of the word of God. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we bow before you. We give you praise and thanksgiving. You are good to us. You've called us out of darkness into light. You've made us your people. You've given us your word. And now, Father, we plead with your, with your mercy that you would pour your spirit upon us, that our hearts would be turned away from every other concern, and we would focus on your word and not the man who speaks it. But rather, Father, that your name would be lifted up and honored, and your people would hear and see and be ready as plowed field for the seed of the word of God to come and take root and produce a harvest of praise to your great name of thirty and sixty of a hundredfold. Father, glorify yourself among us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> We've all had that friend who we look forward to seeing on a regular basis. Someone whose company encourages our hearts, someone who uh, challenges us, someone who stands with us, someone who is an encouragement to our souls. Among the people that Paul counted on was a young man by the name of Timothy. But Timothy's and th- a thousand miles away in Ephesus, and he is in prison in Rome. He's in the deepest, darkest dungeon. He is about to be killed for the faith. His life will be taken because he has named the name of Jesus Christ. And Timothy, being a timid man, not a scaredy cat, but a timid man, is a little hesitant of associating himself with the man who is a traitor, who is condemned to death. His difficulties are great, Paul's are, but he's going to lose his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And now he's here in this setting. And if you look at the last chapter of 2 Timothy, you see that Paul pleads with, with, with Timothy, come before winter. Come, come to me. Bring, bring the books and bring the cloak that I've left behind. Come and encourage my soul. Stand with me in the midst of my difficulty. Stand with me now. And Timothy is still hesitant. But there's a fellow by the name of Onesiphorus. No, that is not a disease. It is, it, it, it is a, a funny name, and it means someone who is profitable, a profitable believer. Someone who's going to come and encourage his soul. And he tells us about Onesiphorus and what he gives us in this passage of Scripture as an encouragement to to Timothy, in contrast to Timothy's timidity to Onesiphorus' public association with him, is this, that the Bible requires you and me to be profitable French friends to one another in Christ Jesus. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says to that church, as it is uh, in the process of, 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 of dealing with what they believe in Christ and how that's going to affect their lives on a daily basis. The Word of God says this, Therefore, Encourage one another and build up each other just as you are doing. And so, just as you are doing, I want to this morning to encourage you to do that very thing, to become a truly profitable friend in Christ. So here's the pattern that's before us. You'll notice as we read this, just these few. Verses that Paul is 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 in pain as he writes these words. His heart is heavy. He is sorrowful because of the circumstances that he finds himself in. Not the fact that he is bearing the the reproach of Christ. He carries that with a heavy with a light heart, but his heart is heavy because. He has been left aside by those who say they love him. There is pain in betrayal. Paul spent three years in Ephesus ministering and doing amazing things there. He, he, uh, came to that place and, and proclaimed the gospel. And for, for two years straight, he taught in the afternoons in the, in the uh, hall of Tyrannus in the afternoon. Where everybody else was sleeping in the midst of the Mediterranean heat. He was teaching uh, these folks the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the scripture tells us that Paul labored there and miraculous things happened. Paul, scripture says that, that the sweat rags that Paul had were picked up by people for the purpose of bringing healing to them. And many were healed. Miraculous things happened there um, in his ministry. And the truth of the gospel was verified by his, his, uh, um, by by his uh, uh, ministry there, namely that uh, false prophets were set aside and that people were brought to faith in Christ. The, the Scripture teaches us that he fostered uh, community relationships with with the Asiarchs, those people who are um, uh, p- people who who were in political and religious officials of the, the community. And the, the society was radically changed by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that people burned their books, their magic books, and thousands and thousands of dollars were, were, were went up in smoke because of. Gospel lives changed. Lives changed by the gospel. Their idols were cast away, and the idol makers weren't making enough money, and so a riot broke out. And eventually, Paul had to leave the city. In that context, two men probably came to faith under the ministry of Paul: Philelus and Hermogenes. Their names mean this: fugitive. Phigellus and Hermogenes, one born of Hermes, or of Mercury, the, uh, the uh, pagan god, of mes- the messenger god. A pagan name does not mean a pagan lifestyle. I know a pastor whose name is Dagon. Dagon, like the fish head doc- uh, god of the Philistines. Dagon, that's his name, but what can you say? Mom and dad, you made a mess. <laughs> but both of their names have an idea of something fleeing, something running away from 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 people, from some, some situations, and their character now is reflected in their names. Most likely these two men were Christian leaders, and the situation whether they were in Rome itself or if they were in still in um, Ephesus. We, the scripture is not clear here. But the problem was, when Paul was in a difficult circumstance, they didn't show up. When they were in a difficult circumstance, they didn't show up. They left Paul in a lurch. This winter, the early part of the, of the year, there's some friends who moved to San Antonio, Texas. The weather changed radically. That doesn't it doesn't happen like this in in uh, in, uh, in San Antonio. They had this snowstorm, ice, and everything just covered everything and destroyed the the grid. Well, they were without electricity for a while. So they called their pastor in their home. Uh, their, their, their pastor at, at home and he said, Well, sorry for that, we can't do anything about it. They had no electricity, they were freezing. They said pastor said, Sorry, you can't do anything about it. So they called another church. The other church took them in. Mm-hmm. They didn't know them. Brought them into their home with their with their with their pets and their their kids. One left them in a lurch, the other one stepped in to minister Christ them. Paul uses the word in Greek, they apostatized from me. They didn't leave the faith. They left Paul in a lurch. Paul is the prisoner of Christ. He's being offended for the sake of Jesus. And there is great pain in betrayal. You, you, have been betrayed. Some of you here have had a wife leave you or a husband leave you or a child disappoint you to the depth of your soul. You've been betrayed and the pain is deep. it's, It's heartbreaking. The apostle reminds us of the words of David, who in Psalm 55 said, it was my familiar friend who has basically stabbed me in the back. My familiar friend. The Lord Jesus was betrayed, not just by Judas, but by everyone who left him alone when he was in the garden and he was arrested. Believers will be betrayed. In Luke chapter 21 verses 16 and 17, the scripture there tells us the Lord Jesus speaking that we will be betrayed by parents and children and friends because of the gospel. Associating with Jesus Christ will bring about betrayal. But here is the great encouragement Jesus Christ, the second person of the eternal Trinity, stepped into your skin and he knows the depth of your sorrow. He knows the depth of your pain. He knows the the draw of those temptations. He knows the depth of trial and tribulation for your heart and your life. And he says to us that he is not ashamed He is not ashamed to call you brethren. He's the one who is the, the great high priest who is without sin and yet has been tempted in every way as you have. And he invites you to come to the throne of grace and show him and say, look, look what happened to me. And Jesus looks and he doesn't turn away, but he comes with healing and encouragement and joy for your heart and your soul and your life. And Jesus in his incarnation has proved to you his willingness and his ability to bring you through that difficulty. What was Paul's attitude with regard to these who have apostatized from him, have left him in a lurch? Well, if his name were Henry, Paul would have said, Can't wait to get a hold of that sucker sometime. Whack him. Right? Mm -hmm. That's my attitude sometimes. Listen to what Paul says. He says it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Some of the last words that Paul will write, he says this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, apostatized from me, May it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them. Jesus upon the cross, as they were nailing him to the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as the stones were crushing Stephen's head as he was dying for Christ, he said, Father, do not hold this against them. How do you get this attitude? You cast your burden upon the Lord. In Psalm 55, where where David has already asked the Lord to, to, to do, as it were, harm to his enemies, yet in verse 22, he casts his soul upon the Lord to help him to rest. He asks then, if we are to ask then, the Lord Jesus Christ to live through you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the word of God tells us that we are to live our lives by, by Christ who has given, our, given himself for us. We've been crucified with him, and now we live our lives through him. Grasp hold then of the gift that God gives you. In the midst of these difficult times, go back to First, uh, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You know it well, I'm sure. Here's God's promise and gift to you. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Here's his gift to you in the midst of your betrayal and your sorrow and your difficulty. That's a picture of rejection that we've painted. But here's a picture of relationship that is going to encourage our souls. The scripture teaches us here that that, that the beauty of a prophet of brotherly love in Christ. Who was this man Onesiphorus? Probably he was a wealthy Christian believer who had opportunity to serve others with blessing them, giving them what, they, what he had and shared with them. He was probably on a business trip to, to Rome when he ministered to Paul when Paul was in prison. And Paul uses the example of Onesiphorus as an implicit plea to, to Timothy, to come and do the same, as I've said, to come before winter, come and encourage my soul. So the picture that is painted for you in just a few words in this passage of Scripture is what a, that profitable relationship looks like. First, then, a profitable relationship refreshes often. A profitable relationship refresh, refreshes often. The scripture teaches us here that, that, uh, that uh, Onesimus, uh, rather Onesiphorus, was like a cool breeze upon paul the word for, the word for refresh means to cool again and it's to cause someone to breathe easy to take the, the burden off it, as it were off their chest so anasiphorus relieved paul's suffering materially and emotionally anasiphorus came came to paul and his presence was a special tonic to him here's the point meet the need at hand. Meet the need at hand. Fulfill God's, uh, Christ's command to us in Matthew chapter 25, verses 40, 21 through 46, the word of God teaches us there that Jesus teaches us what exactly your faith should look like to visit the sick and visit the prisoner, to feed the hungry, to to uh, clothe the naked, to encourage those who are in difficulty. Meet the need at hand and fulfill God's Christ command to us in that. You see, Onesiphorus remembered the prisoners. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, or rather, verse 3. So, and do it often. Paul uses a little word that points to the regular, consistent, often relationship that he has developed to bring about comfort and encouragement to this man in prison. Beloved, make it your practice to refresh others often. Secondly, a profitable relationship is not ashamed. Paul says that that Onesiphorus was not ashamed at great personal risk Onesiphorus came to, to Paul again. He was not ashamed. He was not merely embarrassed about Paul, but rather he was unafraid and unconcerned with the consequences of his actions in meeting a brother's need. He associated with a convicted traitor, one and was standing with him as he was chained and under the sentence of death for Jesus' name. So, beloved, Make it your practice to be unashamed, to be fully and openly willing to associate with Christ and his people. Thirdly, a profitable relationship seeks diligently to serve. Onesiphorus sought Paul out. This was not some superficial search, but Paul uses the language of earnestly and and diligently, he searched earnestly, diligently for me. I want you to know a command that of what God does for us and calls us to in, in, in Titus chapter 3. Verse 13, Paul writes to Titus these words. Some of the last words that he writes to Titus. He says, Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. See that they lack nothing. There's the principle for us. Assisting believers, not only to do the work of the gospel, but to be part of them and to love them and encouragement is our requirement is a requirement upon us. So, so beloved, make it your practice to be eager to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fourthly, a profitable relationship has a history of service. It's a history of service. Notice that in verse 18, Paul says to Timothy, to encourage Timothy to do exactly what Onesiphorus is doing. He says, and you well know the service he rendered at Ephesus. Onesiphorus had a habit of serving Christ's body. It was not a, just a one-time thing. It was his character in Christ. And so he served. He served as a diaconos, as a and he did diaconal work. In other words, he worked as a deacon. He served in the general sense of service of all kinds. And the Greek idea here that is written for us shows us that the service was whatever needed was done. And that's how Onesiphorus served. This service to Paul was evident to all evident to all. Paul says again, you know very well the kind of service he rendered. Beloved, make it your practice to serve others for Christ's sake. Andrew Bonar said this, our deeds tell where our hearts are. And he completed his idea this way. And is it not deeds rather than just words that Christ judges by? Paul is the recipient. But in the midst of times of rejection and the wonder of a beautiful relationship in Christ, there is a responsibility that we have of reciprocity with one another in Christ. And here is Paul. He is chained in a dungeon in in Rome. He doesn't have a dime. He's not not eating on a regular basis unless somebody brings him some food. Onesiphorus brought him food. And so what is Paul, we are required to do for one for the other, to have a reciprocal relationship. What does Paul do? He's a beholden servant who prays for his good friend. Paul, with deep gratitude for the mercies shown to him by Onesiphorus, cannot repay his friend monetarily or in any other fashion, prays for him. Here's a principle for us. We have a great debt of love one for the other. A great debt, and perhaps you can't do something for another person. Perhaps you can't get up and mow their lawn or 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 pay their bills. What can you do? You can get on your knees before the Lord and ask for it, and that's exactly what what Paul does. He asks for mercy now. Here's a principle in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. He who is merciful will be shown mercy. What's mercy? Well, mercy is is a a warm and tender affection shown to one in a difficult difficult situation. But my favorite definition of mercy is Louis Burkhoff, the the, the, theologian's uh, definition. He said this, that Mercy is an aspect of God's character and His love, and in that He does this: what God does for us, He relieves the misery of the consequences of sin. He relieves the misery of the consequences uh, of the misery of the consequences of sin. You cannot relieve a person's misery in prison. You cannot relieve his sentence, but you can relieve the. Circumstances, you can encourage him. You can send a couple of bucks so he can go to the the uh, the commissary and buy a candy bar. All right. So the scripture here teaches us that Paul asks for mercy now. You see, Paul is pleading for Onesiphorus because he's away from his family. He's he's away from his family, and he's in a dangerous situation. He's associating with Paul publicly. And so Paul prays for him and his family and for their needs to be met in the same merciful, abundant fashion that Onesiphorus had met his needs. This mercy, it's a mercy that comes from the Lord. Beloved, are you merciful? Are are you merciful? I'm not talking about being weenie for Jesus. I'm talking about being merciful, relieving the misery of the consequences of sin. Paul then prays for mercy at the judgment seat. The day of God, uh, of Christ, recompenses. That's what Jude tells us there's a day that you will stand before a holy God. You, with nothing to cover you but your sin. Nothing to cover you but your sin if you are outside of Christ. But in Christ, you will be robed in the righteous robes of Christ, dipped in the blood of Jesus, white and clean before him, scripture then teaches us this, that the impetus to serve is seen at the last day in the judgment seat. Calvin said this, and if this promise does not powerfully animate and encourage us to exercise of kindness, we are worse than stupid. It compels us to deal with others as we have been dealt with in mercy. God, be merciful to him at the judgment seat. And then lastly, Paul prays for mercy that would be expressed covenantally. In verse 16, verse the first part of 16, it says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, Paul asks for mercy for Onesiphorus and his family. The scripture is covenantal. The scripture says this as as, uh, Calvin put it, the blessings of God rest not only on the head of a righteous man, but on his house. You men who are leading your families, what kind of blessings are being poured out upon your children and your children's children and upon your wife? Because you are showing a profitable relationship of friendship and mercy to others. It's a beautiful picture of this kind of profitable re- relationship or profitable friendship in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been preaching, and Jeremiah has, a, has, a, the, the, has the, the gift of annoyance. He, uh, he, he, he can annoy people just by breathing, okay? And I think I have that same gift. Uh, get to know me some. He has the gift of annoyance, and he's preaching the gospel, and he annoys people. So the son of the king asks to take uh, to, to, to deal with Jeremiah. He throws him in a pit. It's 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 a muddy pit. There's no water in it. But he sinks into it and he's stuck and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, "Get me out of here!" And someone comes up. He's an African. He's a eunuch. He is he's a servant of the king. His name is Ebed Melek. Ebed, servant, Melech, king. That's his name. Servant of the king. He's a slave. He comes to the king and he says, you can't let this happen. We gotta go get him out. King says, okay, go get him out. So he goes out there, gets some rags, throws them under, uh, 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 gets a a rope and throws some rags around the rope and pulls Jeremiah up out of the pit. And then in in chapter 39, Ebed, Melech, Is bemoaning his situation. He's a eunuch. Because of his physical condition, he is unworthy and unable to be part of the covenant people. He cannot enter into the temple because he's a mutilated man. He's he's excluded. And God says to him, don't worry, you're included. You have shown that you're part of the covenant family. And he brings them in and gives them blessing. And so, what, what do we learn from this passage of scripture? Let me just briefly walk through these ideas with you so that uh, they might settle in your heart and be encouraging to your souls. We've seen the, the, re, the, 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 the terrifying nature of rejection. We've seen something of the wonder of a beautiful, godly, m- mutually respectful relationship that then has the responsibility of reciprocity and so what do we learn do what you can now take, take the initiative to help now seek the good of others first take time this afternoon to read Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 before Paul gives us that Carmen Christi, the song of Christ in, in, in Philippians chapter, five, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he tells us, if there's any, any love among you, do this. And then he delineates, put others before yourself. Do good to all, especially to the household of faith. The household of God. Those people seated next to you, do good to them. And when you do good to them, those people out there will say, Look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. And then associate freely with God's people in all circumstances and of all levels of society. Show mercy. Alleviate the misery of the consequences of sin and you will be shown mercy. Beloved, God rewards even the feeble feeble efforts of his people. He says to us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, God is not so unjust as to remember your labors. That little thing that you did, That you didn't think of twice, God rewards even that. Here's the last thing I'll say. We've been talking about a profitable relationship, a profitable friendship. Jesus is the friend of sinners. We sang that this morning. Do you know Christ Jesus as your friend? Or do you know him only as the judge of your soul? Christ offers friendship to you. If you know him not, I invite you to come in faith and repentance and to cast yourself upon him this morning. Beloved, you are called to a profitable friendship in Christ. You are to be profitable friends in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, seal your word to us. Encourage us by your word. Pour your spirit upon us. Challenge us. Convict us. Turn us to you. Be glorified in our midst.